Yeah, she'll teach you how to be artistically you. Not afraid to talk about what's taboo. So don't play small. Join the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism on. Hello and welcome to today's show with myself, Nikki Collins, and I am joined by Carolyn Keel. Carolyn is an instructional designer at a technology company in New Jersey in America. She also hosts the Beyond Six Seconds podcast, where she interviews neurodivergent people about their lives and their identities. After hosting her podcast for four years, she started focusing on neurodiversity in early 2022 shortly after being diagnosed as autistic. So thank you very much for joining me, giving up your valuable time and energy today. And welcome to the show, Carolyn. Thanks, Nikki. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're a late diagnosed autistic individual. Mm -hmm. So that must have come with some challenges over the years. It has, and it's still been a relatively recent diagnosis for me. So I was diagnosed towards the end of 2021 in October. So at the time we're recording this, it's been less than a year that I've had to kind of process it. Mm. And, you know, I had started thinking several months beforehand that I might be autistic. And I know sometimes people will say who are late diagnosed will say they kind of felt different growing up or that, you know, they but they felt different from other people in in a whole variety of, of, of different ways. And for me, I did, but I didn't really understand much about autism. I mean, people growing up around the time that I grew up, I'm in my mid-40s, so the views of autism were very narrow and stereotypical, so there wasn't a lot of education about what, you know, how autistic people actually experienced life. Um, So I started learning more about that through several online communities and through my podcast um, months before I got diagnosed. And just found I related to a lot of what people were saying. I learned more about how autism manifests in women and girls and really related to a lot of that and decided after a while to just pursue a a diagnosis and see if it was, you know, if there was any credence to that. And, um, you know, after several hours of of testing, um, found out that I was. So after that, I decided to refocus my podcast on neurodiversity as a wider concept. So that's how that came to be. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, because obviously neurodiversity is all of the brain types and all of people and humankind. And then you've got these little pockets, which is now neurodivergency, or mm-hmm. as I like to say, neurodifferent, or someone said to me the other day, neurodistinct. I like oh. that. Mm-hmm. So lots of different ways, depending on preference. Yeah. So how has it changed your life having that, that correct label of autism? Yeah. Again, I'm still processing a lot of what it means for me long-term. I've heard that it can take months or even years to really, you know, kind of look at your life and start living it in a different way where it's really life-changing. For me, I'm, I've been going through the process of, you know, looking back on experiences and events in my life and understanding them differently about Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, this wasn't because I was, you know, too sensitive or like, you know, weak or, you know, all those negative labels that you pick up a lot of times when you're not diagnosed, it's like, oh, okay, well, it's, 
quite likely could have been because I'm autistic and that's a neutral thing and that's why I had that experience. So it's a lot of relooking at my life through a different lens and, you know, just trying to maybe honor some of my needs that I have. So I've been, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do more stimming. Like right now I, you know, I, I bought some stim toys, which is something I was completely new to and learned about as I was watching a lot of online content about the existence of such things. So, you know, when I'm, you know, just trying to feel the urge to move around or fidget, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have certain, um, you know, stim toys to help with the tactile um, feeling of that. So, you know, it's it's small things like that right now, but I think the, mm. probably a lot of the bigger issues are still in front of me at this point. So, um, yeah, still getting there. I think so. It's almost like when you have a relationship that ends, you have to go through a grieving process and a healing process to kind of find out who you are outside mm-hmm. of that relationship. So going through a portion of your life, a large portion of your life, not knowing something so fundamental like I'm autistic, mm-hmm. you almost got to grieve that last part of you. And I think it is a process. And I say to people who are newly diagnosed, it's like a snow globe. You shake it up and it's all over the place. And then you watch it settle down. And it's just a case of waiting for these emotions to settle and dealing with things that, are, that when they arise speaking to other people who are autistic, finding valuable resources that are autistic-led so that mm-hmm. you're actually hearing from the voices that have that experience. There are some neurotypical people out there who are fantastic at being supportive mm-hmm. for autistic individuals. But when you can get into the community who have lived it, that's when you can start to really take strides forward that's what my experience has certainly been anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm still so early in the process that I'm still kind of struggling with a bit of imposter syndrome as an autistic person, which is interesting because before the diagnosis, I really felt like, oh, I, I really think I'm autistic, but I I, I just want to validate it. I want this diagnosis to validate it, which I'll say in this it, at this point for anyone who's listening, self-diagnosis is valid. Like mm. we say that in the community. So it's not, you don't need you know, some people may need an official diagnosis for a variety of reasons, but you know, you really don't have to have one in order to realize that you're autistic. You know, self-diagnosis or self-realization is fine. But for me, it was important and I was really feeling like, oh, I, you know, I I really think I am autistic. And then after I got the diagnosis, even after we went through like the report and the 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 findings and all the and, you know, which was a positive experience for me. But after I'm like, oh, but maybe I'm not. Like maybe I've researched so much that like I I faked the test subconsciously or something, because because autistic people are so different and it manifests so differently for us that I you know I relate to some of the things, but there's a lot of things I don't relate to that autistic people experience that I've read about. So someone's like, well, if I don't do this or that or feel this way or that way, does that mean maybe I'm not? So mm-hmm. I think that's a common thing sometimes that people don't really talk about. And it, it cognitively doesn't make sense. It's like you have the diagnosis, you should feel more assured. But in some ways, it's like, oh, wait, is this real? But it might be part of that grieving process of like, you know, acceptance or denial or anger, like all, all those phases that we go through. So I thought that was just kind of interesting. Definitely. Our brains are just the most curious things, really. Mm-hmm. They are. 
And I think imposter syndrome itself is something that we all struggle with and it never truly goes away. We can mm-hmm. we can do things to keep it under control. If you can hear that in the background, that is my cat. That is Snippet. And Snippet <laughs> almost always gets in on absolutely everything. So maybe I'm going to need to do a challenge of how many times can listeners identify Snippet in the background in episodes between I don't know, between episodes one to six, how many times mm-hmm. did you hear Snippet prize for the right answer or closest answer? <laughs> He'll need his own episode. <laughs> he will need his own episode. But he's a senior. He's an old boy now. He's going to be 10 oh. next month. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I have no idea where I was before that. How has it been for you coming out and sharing your new identity with those around you? I've been kind of sharing it gradually like obviously I host a podcast where I talk about it so it's it's a strange um circumstance of being out like online on my podcast and my podcast's Instagram account and Twitter account are my main Instagram and Twitter accounts so obviously I I talk about it here and there and I I am out on those platforms mm. um in my in my personal life I've been kind of gradually coming out, like I've come out to like immediate family and some friends and overall from the group of people who I've come out to in my sort of personal offline life, I guess you could say, have been um, actually really supportive. And I was actually really surprised at how educated a lot of people are already on neurodiversity. Like, because I would say like maybe one or two years ago, I don't even think I had heard the term neurodiversity. Certainly mm-hmm. didn't really know anything about autism or any other neurodivergent conditions. Um, but a lot of people are like, you know, familiar with like a lot of the uh, the vocabulary. And I was just really impressed. It's like, oh, okay. I took all this time to learn. It's like, yeah, other people are learning too. So that's been really reassuring um, to hear. Um, the one thing, and I know we were chatting about this before, is that I'm not as you know out about being autistic on LinkedIn. I do post about my podcast, and it's obvious that my podcast is about neurodiversity. Um, but I have a, a a podcast where I interview people, so mostly it's about the stories of neurodivergent people that I'm posting about, mm-hmm. and I don't uh, really talk about, at least in my posts on LinkedIn, that. Um, that I'm autistic. Now, obviously, if someone goes on LinkedIn and listens to the episode, they'll likely find out, or even goes to my website, they'll find out that I am autistic and the whole story behind the podcast. Mm. But um, for people who are just sort of casually scrolling through in my network, I don't make it as obvious. And I know it's, it's, again, I'm early in the process. I'm still in the process of coming out in a lot of different areas of my life as autistic. So um, I'm sure it will happen. Like the day will come where where I'll be out. I'm I'm sure on LinkedIn. But at this point, I mean, sadly, I am kind of concerned about the impact that it could have on my career. Like you know, I'm in a very supportive company right now. I have no real reason to believe that it would be used against me. But at the same time, I recognize that not everybody is as educated about autism and neurodiversity and um you never really know until you have that conversation how people feel about it so um mm. yeah at this point that's that's kind of where i am with that yeah it's a it's a fear it's a valid fear and i think that it is shared by many people and some people they they share and disclose and it goes down amazing and others they have doors slammed in their face 
Mm-hmm. So it's we're at that point where that awareness is on the increase, but it's nowhere near the level it needs to be. And I'm still at the point where I'm trying to sort out like, you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about like their as an autistic person, like what their their super strengths are, or some people use the term superpowers, or they have like a strong understanding of what their weaknesses and opportunities for, you know, improvement or their challenges are. And I'm still not I still haven't figured that out yet. So I don't even know if I could have a conversation about like, well, what are my autistic strengths? It's like, I don't know. They're just my strengths at this point. Like I can't pull it apart. I've had 40 something years of just being like Mm. a person with like strengths and challenges. And I'm not sure what's related to autism. What's, you know, and what's just related to me or related to other parts of my life and identity. So it's like, I don't even even know how to have some of those conversations yet. That's my coaching program is actually called Unleash Your Autistic Superpowers mm-hmm. because there's so much negativity around autism. And actually, it might not be that there's a physical superpower and yeah. that we excel at something. It's like, oh, yes, this person is autistic and they have this amazing ability with numbers or or whatever it is mm-hmm. because there are people who've who can do these things, but that's not a blanket. That's not across the board. Right. When I look at superpowers and strengths, I think like hyper-focus. So mm-hmm. when maybe you, I know that your special interest is podcasting and that's something mm-hmm. that you do as a hobby in your spare time. So when you're engaged in something like editing or making the transcripts and making sure that it's all correct, you are engaged in that. Your hyper focus is just it's on fire in that moment. There's no stopping you. <laughs> Literally, mm-hmm. there's no stopping you. <laughs> the house is on fire. Never mind. Just this one more line. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like, wait, I'm late for something. Oh, but I'm almost done with the section. It's like 15 minutes later. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. Yeah. I have to set timers when I've got things to go and do. So I will set two timers. One is the first one is warning, change is incoming. And the second is change tasks now. So it's not going from I'm doing something and you need to do something now, now, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, ah, and I really, I flap, I get my knickers in a twist. Mm -hmm. And I just, it really throws me. But if I have that 10 minutes or 15 minutes and I know, so that's my wrap up time. So my brain's like, something's going to change soon. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like, oh, right. Now we're going to change and we're going to go and do this. Yeah. Works a treat. Love it. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. It is hard to, as you said, it's hard to switch tasks when you're in hyper focus. It's, um. Oh, yeah. yeah. And trying to get someone to switch tasks when they're in hyper focus. Well, it's it's your death. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's got me into trouble a lot over the years. But when you can control it to a a little bit of an extent, I don't think it's something you can fully control. And why should you? It's just about making sure you've allocated maybe enough time to do the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, exactly. So what got you into podcasting? So it's interesting. So before I was a podcaster, I was a singer. I guess technically I'm still a singer. I'm not 
actively singing right now, but I spent many years as a musician and as a singer. And at the time, we'll back up maybe four or five years ago, right before I started the podcast, I was in an acapella group that was based in New York City. And it was a small group of women and we would, you know, we would sing year round. And then at one point we kind of staled it back to singing around the December holiday times because that tends to have a lot of demand for for groups like that, for like holiday music and things like that. So we were preparing for one of our seasons and I got introduced to what podcasts were because we were singing um, a song written by Leonard Cohen called um, Hallelujah because we had it's not a holiday song, but we knew the song anyway, and we liked it, so we were preparing it. And at the time, uh, Leonard Cohen passed away, like around the around a couple months before the holidays. Yeah. So one of my um, one of the women in the singing group shared with us a podcast. Um, it was by Malcolm Gladwell. It was Revisionist History, which talked about Leonard Cohen and the song Hallelujah. And she said, "Oh, this is like a really interesting analysis of like the history of the song, and it had." you know, some other elements of music in it. So she shared it with the group to just listen to think we would think it was interesting because we were practicing the song. So I listened to it and like, it was, a, it was a pretty interesting episode. And that actually got me into that podcast at the time. So I listened to more episodes. So now I've discovered what podcasts are. So maybe another year goes by and I wind up switching jobs. So I work further away from New York City and I can't come into rehearsals and I can't participate as much in singing. And I said, you know, I still need another creative outlet because I can't do singing and all I'm really doing is, you know, is working, going home. And I just, I just need like some creative outlet and, and something that I can create and control and just have fun with. Like I need, I need a new creative hobby. Mm. So I thought about, you know, I've discovered this thing called podcasting. I have some experience with like recording and microphones and the online world from singing because I used to manage our website like back in the day and worked on some of our CD recordings like many, many years ago when people still made CDs. And um, I said, you know, I think maybe I could get up the technology learning curve and do something with podcasting. And that would be kind of fun, you know, and I'll interview my friends and just see how the show takes off. And the show really started as a general interview show to talk to people about their things that they were passionate about. Because they figured, you know, I don't I don't know if I could sustain a one-on-one -on -one conversation on a podcast with someone. I have no idea if I'm a good interviewer because in social situations, sometimes it's hard for me to talk and participate in yeah. certain conversations. I'm like, I don't know, could I do this? Like, let's see if I can do this. Just try it. Mm. And so I'll pick people who I know are doing really cool things, but who don't normally talk about it widely um, because I want other people to hear about all the cool things they're doing. And I'm like, you know, people like to talk about things that they're passionate about. So it shouldn't be too hard for me to get them to talk about that stuff. So I reached out to a few friends that I had online and in my my sort of offline life and recorded a few episodes. And I started getting reactions and followers and good feedback and other people who wanted to be on the show. And my guest would refer me to other people. And then I just kept going with it. I said, you know, I'll interview people who have stories that I think are are interesting, people who are making an impact on the world in, you know, whether small ways or big ways. And just, uh, I'll just do this until, you know, as long as it's fun, I'll, I'll do it. And so I just kept doing it. And 
the name Beyond Six Seconds comes from a it comes from some employment study or recruiting study that said that recruiters only look at your resume for about six seconds before they make a judgment call on you, whether it goes in like the reject pile or the the move to the next phase file. I have no idea how valid that study actually was, but it was kind of a cool tagline and I really needed a title. So I'm like, well, I want to go beyond six seconds or six second first impressions to really give people a little more space to tell their stories. Because, mm. you know, people aren't out there with like the little sound bites trying to catch attention. These are the people who are doing the hard work and the really creative work and making the change slowly. And it may not fit in a sound bite, but it's important. And I want to give them space to share what they're doing. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. I didn't know that about the six seconds. That's it's interesting. You've been doing this for a while now. So what is one of the coolest things that you've talked about? What's some of the coolest stuff that's come up on your during your conversations? It's out there in the public, so we can talk about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, coolest things. I think... Um... No, there's there's really been a lot. I've I've enjoyed talking to other people who have kind of gone on to to have like even bigger successes because that's that's what I'm 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 always trying to at, at that point when I was before I had the neurodiversity focus I was always looking for people who were kind of like on on the on the cusp of of making it and really making that change and it's yeah. really exciting to see the progress that people have had um, since I've interviewed them so um, I've interviewed early stage podcasters on the show who have gone on to create like mentoring programs for other podcasters and really make podcasting their business. So a lot of times when I'm interviewing, like they're, they're really nervous because sometimes they've like just gotten laid off from their job. Or a lot of times the pandemic was something that really messed up a lot of people's lives and employments and, and their whole situation. So I would interview them at the beginning of that and just hear about the ideas that they were working on. And then like a year or two, I'm watching them like speak at conferences and getting awards for the work that we talked about that they were just starting like a year or two before. So I think for me, that's been cool. I really like seeing people's progress and just feeling in some ways that I'm a very small part of it, even though I don't know how much it's probably like not really even a small part of it, but at least I got to see it like from the very beginning. And I got like a little window into things like, oh my gosh, this was, you know, I I knew at the time that people were going to go on to do really great things. So that's been exciting to see. I know. I I always just fills me with joy when I can see someone's got a vision and they've got a goal and they've got a way to get there. They might not know all of the steps to get there, but Mm -hmm. they've at least got those starting points in place, those starting blocks and the majority of the time, it's just knowing how to get started. Mm-hmm. That is one of the hardest and challenging things. It's like if you've got any sort of addictions, it's about working out that there is a problem there that you need yeah. to start. And then you can take the first steps into dealing with it. So in business, and I've seen some people in, in our sphere who have just gone on to do some incredible things. And we're always chopping and changing shifting directions it's quite fluid but actually when you look at how far someone's come in such a short space of time in a grand scheme of things it's just phenomenal absolutely Mm -hmm. phenomenal I know I've done so much in the last couple of years and when I sit down and actually look back over it I think how have I managed this and that was that was lockdown lockdown was my pivot it was my turning Mm -hmm. point and it was 
so frightening to start with because how how are you going to take this which you've been building on for such a long time and keep it going and still pay the bills yeah and that was a lot the topic of a lot of the discussions in on my episodes in 2020 were from people who were had started businesses before and had to pivot because of the the pandemic lockdowns and just either loss of business or loss of the ability to go to live events or have conferences so um, that's a that's a pretty big theme in my 2020 episodes because uh, you know sometimes I recorded them like early in 2020 and they come out later in the year. Mm. But uh, it's really interesting to see how people how people pivot and they're still able to meet needs in the market even if it's not the way they originally thought they would meet those needs. Exactly. One of my affirmations is I trust the process as it unfolds mm-hmm. because although I've got a, a plan a, a step sort of like a starting point a end point here mm-hmm. i don't know all of the steps and sometimes you have to take these weird detours or something gets thrown in the way and you have to kind of navigate yourself around these little challenges and hurdles and mm-hmm. the way you get there is something in a way that you'd never have imagined that you was going to get there in the first place yeah mm-hmm. and i find that challenging sometimes as i guess now looking back and it probably has something to do with being autistic is that a lot of times it's very anxiety inducing for me to not be able to see like not all the steps but like most of the steps if I'm starting something new a lot of even if I'm getting like a new assignment at work about something I haven't done before really anything I'll I'll, I'll start I'll, I'll, it'll almost look like I'm zoning out or that I don't understand but what i'm really doing is my brain is already starting to figure out all right here's how i would approach this and here's sort of the things that i might need to deal with like it's a very quick process and it's like i just need that it's hard for me to deal with that uncertainty about like here's this thing you'll figure it out here go run with it okay let me know how you're doing like that is so stressful for me but that's what entrepreneurship is a lot of the time so i don't know like as an autistic business owner and and I've interviewed many like there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are autistic mm. like how to you know how if, if that's even an issue for for you or for other autistic entrepreneurs or if that's just something you find a way to deal with <laughs> I don't know I think I've come to a place of acceptance now that if I have something that I'm working on I have multiple little things that I'm working on at any one given time and sometimes my focus has to be on one thing and then all of a sudden, it's like it's dropped off the edge of the earth, if there were edges. I then pick up one of the other things, but then I'll always come back full circle and pick up on a thing that I dropped a little while ago. So I try and mm-hmm. see it as more fluid now, instead of beating myself up and saying, you must finish this, because oh. I'm 99% sure that I'm ADHD as well. So mm-hmm. working within the parameters of you start a project and you finish it, it doesn't happen. But Mm -hmm. I now have enough proof to myself to say, well, you've just got to go with the flow. And I've done a lot of mindset work as well that has helped me to get to that point and be able to accept it without being completely side railed by it and think, oh, my God, nothing's ever going to get done. My life is now obviously over. Back in your box, brain. Actually, my brain is called Brian. So I say back in your box, Brian. (laughs) behave, settle down, look, 
listen here, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it puts me back in control. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. for me, it's like the thought is like, I'm never going to figure this out, like ever. It's like, well, most of the time I figure it out. Like that, that that's still kind of lost on me. It's like not every time, but the vast majority of the time I do eventually figure it out. But um, <laughs> convincing myself of that, like at the beginning and not like halfway through, it's like, oh yeah, this is okay. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. It's, as I say, this podcast, when I, when I started it, it was such a learning curve because mm-hmm. it's like all these different steps and you just think, oh, I'll start a podcast. All I've got to do is find some guests and speak to them and it's done. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they laughed and they laughed and they laughed. <laughs> and anyone else who's produced a podcast before will know why we're mm-hmm. still laughing. Yeah. I think I spent a good month like researching all of the technology, the platforms, the software, the equipment, the guests, the t- you know, the cover art, like all of that, which is is funny because sometimes I mean, once in a while, if I have a big project and I'm not sure how to do it, you know, you might procrastinate or be like, yeah, I'd like to do that someday. I don't know. And then like you may or may not do it at some point. But for this, it's like I made the decision. I want to do this. And it's like, OK, I'm going to like research it and like every day do a little bit of research and actually make it happen. So the thought from the idea to the execution was pretty short, which is kind of unusual for me. But I think it made a difference that I already felt like I had a head start because I wasn't totally starting new. It's like, all right, I know the technology a little and like mentally that was enough for me to like get the momentum to to get going. So mm. that helped. And it is that as I say, it's gone back full circle, isn't it? It's mm. getting off that starting block and starting. Yeah. I remember when I started my community blog, it was, oh, I now need to find contributors who are mm. autistic or neurodivergent who have something that they want to share. I never set the topics because that's how it keeps the 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 content so diverse. Mm-hmm. Because if it's me saying, Right, Carolyn, you've said that you'd like to contribute. Can you write on this exact precise thing? And your brain Mm -hmm. just goes, no. Yeah. (laughs) It's either a yes or a no. It's like, oh, I've thought about that. It's like, yeah. Exactly. So I think when people, when they are able to choose the topic themselves and it works so well and it's been, it's been ongoing for over eight months now. So it's clearly, it's clearly going in the right direction and that's why I'm now doing a podcast as well because it just adds in something else but I couldn't do both at the same time so I went yeah. for what I thought would be the easier one to start with mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and, add this yeah. in <laughs> that's great yeah I think before like before I started the podcast like years and years ago I had started to write a blog like that was the creative thing I wanted to do at one point and I just couldn't get the momentum I was I would write like two or three posts and then I'm like, ran out of ideas. (laughs) Like, I don't know what to do. So that's why I started. And sort of like what you're doing with your community blog is getting content and other uh, contributors. I mean, that's what I'm doing on the podcast. I'm doing it mostly. I have a couple of solo episodes where I talk about something, but they're almost all interviews with people. So it's kind of a co-creation of content. Um, And I just like hearing people's stories. I mean, I, Mm. I know a lot of podcasts are more like on the, you know, the, the super educational side with like experts on, you know, that you like to have experts on your show, like whatever topic you're talking about. And for me, I'm the expertise I'm interested in are people's lived experiences. And, mm. you know, you're really an expert in yourself. And I feel like a lot of that is missing in the 
uh, neurodivergent community. I mean, it's much better now than it ever was before, but I think for so long, our voices really, I don't want to say some of them really weren't heard, or we just didn't have platforms until very recently to share our stories and our experiences. So people would learn about uh, autism and ADHD and dyslexia and dyspraxia and Tourette syndrome from other people who had studied it in school or the parents of children who had these conditions. And while there's certainly value in those experiences, you're you're missing a big element of, you know, all these children grow up and they still have these conditions in their lives. So like, what is that like? And everyone's experience is different. And that's what I find just so intriguing. And, and um, I, I just love hearing their, their experiences and understanding more about how their other identities and other life experiences intersect with their own neurodivergence, because that's, that's huge as well. And that's another topic that um, a lot of times doesn't get thought about either. Yeah, exactly. This is one of the reasons why I've written the book, because it brings out different people's stories Mm -hmm. and there is so much power in stories and when people are given that freedom to express their life through words whether it be verbal or written it's just it's magical and Mm -hmm. it can act as a catalyst as well catalyst for change and it helps other people because as you say autistic children neurodifferent children they don't lose these things. We grow up to be autistic adults. And that's this is why when I'm coaching teenagers, I think, well, I'm just further ahead in my journey. We're both autistic. I'm just older. I've made some mistakes. And hopefully by us talking while you're younger, you won't repeat some of the mistakes that maybe I made in my youth. It is important. It is important because if we don't talk about these topics whatever they are, and it's such a vast array of topics, mm-hmm. how are we ever going to move forward? How are we ever going to educate? And these platforms, they are getting bigger. There are more of them. So it's getting even easier to kind of put these messages out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, I I love learning from different people. And one of the great things about having a podcast is that you're able to have conversations with people who you would probably never get to talk to. Mm. in other parts of your life like you know it's it's kind of a good again as someone who sometimes struggles with initiating conversations socially it's perfect to say hey i have a podcast on this topic you know i i maybe i saw you sharing your story somewhere and i'd love to come you know have you come on the show and share more about it and i've just met so many incredible people and mm. it's helped me break down a lot of my preconceived notions and and bias as well like one of my one of my favorite episodes from the past year was I interviewed a non-speaking autistic self-advocate, which is something I really wanted to do was have someone who is non-speaking on the show because, you know, I, I wanted to try to get past the selection bias of, you know, people who were kind of, you know, out there already talking about their 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 stories. But maybe there are people who, you know, either don't share as much or have serious challenges that make it hard for them to like be on social media all the time talking about their experiences. So mm. um, yeah, I, I talked to an advocate I, and it, it was surprisingly easy for me to have that conversation. <laughs> like fortunately he, he's very extroverted, so he has no problems like, you know, 
carrying through a conversation, he um, communicates through um, spelling to communicate. So he uses a letter board. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed him along with his parents who were also his communication regulation partners. And we did some prep beforehand, but he answered some questions extemporaneously during the interview. And it's like one of my favorite interviews. And he's just, I don't know, he's like really charming and, and very, very chatty and, and totally enjoyed that one. So again, I would never have that experience in my regular life if I didn't have this platform. So I, I think it it helped open up my mind. And I think it really, for my listeners, was very um, a great revelation as well for people who, again, maybe didn't have a lot of experience with the non-speaking autistic community. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I know that there was a TEDx talk done by Jude Morrow. He did two and the second one, he didn't use words. He used a, a board with <laughs> with his speech written mm -hmm. on it and just used a board, each card, what speech card big ones, mm -hmm. just to get the point out about the non-speaking community. And it doesn't mean that there is no intelligence. It doesn't mean that there is a lesser intelligence level there. It just means that this person communicates in a different way to what society expects you to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think once you start getting into the – it's almost like once you kind of declare or share that you're autistic, it's – it's hard not to get involved in more like the advocacy and in some ways the activism part of it. So really, if you're really paying attention, you just realize how many, you know, how diverse our community is with mm. different ranges of, you know, because one of the diagnostic criteria around autism is, is differences or challenges around communication. So just understanding how different people communicate. Not everybody uses speech. Some people use letterboards and people do, you know, um, use on, on the iPad, like speech. So um, AAC, I think is what that sort of range of communication is. And um, yeah, it's just been really eye-opening to understand more about the community and a lot of the serious challenges that they face from, you know, Mostly society, honestly. Like, there's certainly challenges that come with being autistic that are separate from society, but I think a lot of it is just society's view of um, what autism is and how it manifests. Absolutely. I I watched a it was a TED talk actually, and they said that it isn't the they didn't see themselves as disabled. It was mm -hmm. more the environment around them that was disabling to them. And that is where we can start to actually make improvement because mm -hmm. the world is bright. The world is light. It's noisy. It's yeah. There's a lot going on that doesn't actually need to be going on. We've got autism hours at random points. I don't actually know when they are. Mm -hmm. They're that well advertised and promoted across certain supermarket chains in the UK. And, well, the majority of people don't want to be blinded by lights. They don't want to have music blaring at them and they don't want to mm. have this assault on their senses, regardless of their neurotype. The majority of people don't like grocery shopping. They just have to do it. It's one yeah. of them things. Mm -hmm. So make it as easy and as sensory friendly as possible. And I think a lot of neurotypicals would actually find they benefited more than they realize if we started to make some of these changes so that it was neurodiversity friendly so it mm -hmm. catered to all of us yeah and i feel like some the trend recently has been more towards that 
sensory assault. Like I know when I go out to restaurants and maybe these are just the types of restaurants I've been out to, um, everything is loud. Like the way it's built acoustically, it's all metal. So everything like bounces off the walls and the music is blaring and like everyone's shouting. Like I have to shout my order. <laughs> like who is this for? Like who likes this? Who wants to go to have dinner and just like shout across the table at the person to have a conversation like, I, I'm not really sure how that decision got made or why this is a trend. So, yeah, to that point, I, I would think that, you know, it's not just neurodivergent people with auditory sensory sensitivities who don't like that It's or can't tolerate that. It's probably like a lot of other people who would prefer that not to be the, the standard. Exactly. Me and my partner, we took the kids out for my son and my stepdaughter to turn 16 within a very short space of time it's about 10 mm-hmm. days between them so we went out for a meal in between their birthdays to celebrate the 16th mm-hmm. and we were seated next to a table of 20 wow by the end of my meal i was like right, i'm gonna go and pay and i'm gonna pay and i'm gonna go and stand outside and wait for you so take your mm-hmm. time but i can't tolerate this anymore i'm just done because they were chatting they were getting it was obviously a, a gathering and that's absolutely fine but I don't want to sit near that. And then the next meal we had was totally different. It was just the two of us. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with the children. It was just the environment and the the restaurant that we found ourselves in. And it was perfect. It was quiet. It was the music was a nice level. You could communicate and not have all these outside sounds distracting. And it was just it was total opposite. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's nice. Mm, it was. I like. I like more nice meals like that. <laughs> it's nice to find quiet public spaces. I feel like those are fewer and fewer these days. Well, I kind of tend to go out towards the end of the day when people have done their outside stuff. So, and yeah, that kind of works well, especially if we're going out on a day trip. So, if we're going to a museum or a place of interest, we will go towards closing hours because you've got closing hours and which are the times that the door shuts and the kicking out hours so if you can go in between those everyone's back they're doing their stuff they're feeding their children Mm. it's quiet we did this recently at a car museum that's recently opened up great brilliant Mm -hmm. about 10 people there other than us (sighs) that's nice it was I saw a movie recently with like seven people in the theater. I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> oh, perfect. perfect. Maybe yeah. we should make that the, the new norm. Yeah. <laughs> Small gatherings, no mm-hmm. large ones. So where can people find you? If they would like to sign up to your podcast or even maybe reach out to you as a guest, uh, potentially, mm-hmm. how do people find you, Carolyn? So I have a website. It's beyond six seconds.net and it's the number six. Uh, you can find me there. It has all of my episodes, contact information, social media links. I'm also, the podcast is on pretty much any podcast platform. So if you go into your favorite podcast app or website and just type in beyond six seconds, you should be able to find the podcast there as well. So, um, yeah, definitely reach out. Let me know what you think. And, um, yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate anyone who wants to check it out and give it a listen. 
Uh, I will put those links into the show notes so that they're easily clickable and people can just click through should they wish Perfect. to. That's and great. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Again, thank you for giving your time to this today. It is very much appreciated. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been great. I really appreciate it too. Cheers, Carolyn. Take care. And for our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never have to miss an episode again. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Nikki Collins. Autism Unmasked.